0: Amen. Thank you so much, Max and Gloria, wherever they've gone. Thank you, worship band. I have, a deep, I have a deep, deep, deep theological question for you this morning before we start. How many bass players does a worship band need? <laughs> now in scripture, three is offered a perfect number. I think we're seeing a little bit of an answer there. I'll let you work that one out. Seven's seven's even more perfect. Okay, we live for the day of uh, seven bass players. I hope to see that in my day, as the prophet so often says. Um, Okay, so we are well welcome this morning. Welcome to you in the room. Welcome to you if you're watching us on YouTube, if you're watching us on Catch Up, uh, if you're in the room or on Zoom, as we say, you're most welcome uh, this morning. We are uh, working our way through our series on 1 Peter. Uh, We've got, I think it's three more to go, Uh, so I am going to read uh, our passage and then we're going to jump into uh, exploring that. So if you have your Bibles with you, either hard copy or on your phone or in some other means, can you turn with me please to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to read a little bit of chapter 3 and also a little bit of chapter 4. So 1 Peter 3 starting at verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. He who was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit, after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. And then moving to chapter 4 and picking up in verse 12 of chapter 4. Dear friends, do not be astonished that a trial of fire is occurring among you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in the degree that you have shared in the sufferings of Christ, so that when his glory is revealed, you may also rejoice and be glad. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory, who is the spirit of God, rests on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or a criminal or a troublemaker. But if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but glorify God that you bear such a name. For it is time for judgment to begin, starting with the house of God. And if it starts with us, what will be the fate of those who are disobedient to the gospel of God? And if the righteous are barely saved, what will become of the ungodly and sinners? So let, then, so let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator as they do good. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your word. Just pray that you will bless it to us. Give us hearts that hear what you have to say to us. Amen. I don't know if you have ever been making a phone call. Maybe a really important phone call, and suddenly you get that dreaded pop-up, low battery warning. 8%, 5%, 3%. And it's visibly going down as you're making this call. And you know you've got so much to say. So your sentences become just that little bit quicker. Your sentences suddenly start to run into each other. You start to repeat stuff that you kind of feel you've already said. But you think, I've just got to say it. As you desperately try to get across your message before the power dies. Now, I know that Peter wasn't making a mobile call when he was writing 1 Peter. I'm sure he was sitting at home comfortably dictating these words. But to be honest, as I read this passage, that was the picture, rightly or wrongly, that came to my mind. Desperately trying to get across so much information before the power dies. We have so much in that passage that I've just read. In verse 15, he's talking about our need to share Uh, in suffering, our need to endure suffering. And that's fine. In many ways, that has been the big theme throughout 1 Peter, how Christians suffer, how Christians suffer rightly. So that's fine. But in verse 18, verse 18 is a great verse, by the way. Verse 18, we get the gospel in one verse. We get the gospel in one verse. Christ suffered, put to death in the body, made alive in the spirit. The gospel in one verse. But then, in verse 19 and 20, oh, if only it finished on verse 18. In verse 19 and 20, we get get two of what are probably the most controversial verses in all of Scripture. There's Christ making proclamation to imprisoned spirits. Well, what is that all about? We have Noah in verse 20 we have baptisms thrown in for good measure in verse 21. Peter is on a roll and we haven't even got to chapter 4 here. So, so there is this sense, and I don't know if you caught that sense as, as you read through that passage, of what is going on here? What is the one thing that we can find in this passage? that The thing that helps us, if you like, join the dots and gives us the picture of what we're looking at here. Well, you might also wonder why we, uh, uh, why we jumped over the beginning of chapter 4. Well, to be honest, in chapter 3, Peter is talking about all this stuff. Uh, in chapter 4, he starts to sum up his letter. Uh, and then in verse 12 in chapter 4, he's kind of, he kind of goes back to this theme of suffering. It's, it's a little bit, dare I say, it, a little bit like the preacher who says, and finally... And then has three more points that he's got to, to get out after that. And finally, I trust I won't do that uh, this morning. But, but Peter then goes back to this theme of suffering in, in chapter 4. So, so we will be going back to the beginning of chapter 4 next week. Uh, because that is where Peter starts to sum up this uh, passage but if we could find uh, uh, one verse, I think, and I think I found the verse in chapter 4 that gives us the, the picture of what is being said here. It's 1 Peter uh, 3, uh, actually, no, it's, it's 1 Peter three eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you uh, to God. I'm very conscious this morning that it is Remembrance Sunday, that we are at 11 o'clock going to be remembering that. That's an important uh Day to remember. We remember, particularly, we remember people who have suffered and died and given their lives in wars. Uh, particularly in this country, we think of the two world wars, but we remember men and women that have suffered and died in all conflicts, everywhere. And of course, with the conflicts that are going on in the world today, particularly in Ukraine, this is a, this is a very pertinent day to remember that stuff. But here's a question that I want to ask. Here's the question that I want to ask. Do we share in their suffering? Do we share in their suffering? Because the answer is, I don't think that we do. I think one of the reasons that we remember Remembrance Sunday is we remember people who have suffered and died, suffered so that we might not suffer. People that have died to win our freedom, People that have paid, if you like, the ultimate sacrifice so that we can live free and secure. And what we give thanks for on Remembrance Sunday is so often the fact that others have suffered that we might not suffer. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, the thing that I find interesting when we read this passage in Scripture, Peter is very strong about this idea that that we are sharing in Christ's suffering. I want us to think about that for a moment. How big an idea is that? How, how dare we almost think that we might share in Christ's suffering? You see, Christ suffered so that we might not face God's anger. We got that in verse 18. Christ suffered once for the sins of the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Or as Paul says in Corinthians, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But you see those verses and all the other multitudes of verses that we could talk of. That that talk of Christ's suffering and death. Don't say, at least I can't find one in scripture that says Christ suffered so that you won't have to suffer. Christ died so that we might not die, or, or at least we will die, but that death won't have the victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sin? Christ died so that ultimately we don't fear death. Christ suffered that we might not fear death. But Christ didn't suffer that we might not suffer. Suffering is part of the human or part of the Christian experience. And so when Peter says and writes this whole book about you are sharing in my suffering, that's actually something that, that, that we sometimes struggle with. In, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, he says, Dear friends, do not be astonished that a trial by fire is occurring among you, as though something was strange were happening to you. And, you know, The problem is, one of the things that we really have to be aware of, in, particularly in the church in the West, in the 21st century, is that we don't like suffering. I think very recently, I was here, and again, we were at the, um, the Nugent Conference just, just last week. I can't remember who it was, but I think it was a point extremely well made. that In the West, in these days, we have what, what someone described as a theology of comfort. A theology of comfort. And says, that which makes me comfortable is good. And to be encouraged and right and proper. And anything that makes me uncomfortable, in fact, anything that makes me suffer, is wrong. And needs to be addressed. And needs to be engineered out of my experience. Comfort is good. Comfort is what I want. Suffering is not good. Suffering is not what I want. But Peter says, you grow through suffering. Peter says, suffering is part of what you need to endure. And so the point I'm making, the first point I'm making, if it was up there or not, I don't know what order my slides are in, it doesn't really matter. That we share in Christ's suffering. Peter says, I want you to share in his suffering. You see, in in chapter 3 and 4, Peter is so caught up with this idea that we share in his suffering, that he writes it again and again and again. He's writing to a community that the one thing he wants them to realise is that they share in Christ's suffering. They're sharing with him. I imagine Peter was writing to, to actually quite a... Quite a difficult audience, if you think about it for a moment. He was writing, I'm not sure exactly when, 40, 50, 60 AD. It doesn't doesn't quite matter. But the, the point is, the audience that he was writing to, I can well imagine that there would be some older people in that congregation that actually remember Jesus, were physically alive. Maybe even met him, maybe walked with him, maybe talked with him, maybe shared with him. And now a new generation is growing up, and this is part of what Peter is having to write to them to explain, that says, yes, you still have to suffer. You still have to go through this. But this younger generation are probably saying, oh, I wish, I wish we'd been born 30 years earlier. I wish, I wish I'd had your experience of, of sharing with Jesus, even the tough bit. I wish I'd been alive to, to walk with him, to maybe even take a few of the rocks and the stones that were hurled at him. I, I wish I'd have been in that position. I missed out by 30 years. I wonder how many of us think, oh, I wish I'd been born 2,000 years ago. Wouldn't that have been great? If I had a time machine, I can just wind that back and go back to Galilee 2,000 years ago and walk with Jesus and hear with Jesus and be with him and hear the Sermon on the Mount. And we can't do that, obviously, just as these people who were born 40 years after Jesus can't do that. And they're saying, well, hey, can I share in any of this? And Peter says, yes, you, you share in his suffering. This is a timeless task. This is a timeless mission that you are being called to, to share in his suffering. I'm going to keep repeating that phrase because I think we need to get that into our head. A, because we don't like suffering at all, let alone sharing in it. And B, because this day itself reminds us that other people suffered that we might not suffer. And hey, the gospel doesn't say that. The gospel says as Christians, you suffer. And again, we have to make this point on on this day and indeed every day. If you are facing problems and difficulties and challenges and trials and suffering this morning, then that's part of being a Christian. But you don't do that in isolation. You don't do that alone. We can come alongside you and pray with you and comfort with you and stand with you and not make the suffering go away, but make our way through it with you. As we worship later on, there's opportunity there. If you just need prayer, take hold of that. But you see, we need to go back to Paul's frantic phone call, uh, the points that he is trying to make and are all getting kind of blended in and mixed into each other in this frantic uh, narration as the battery level kind of drops. Because what he's saying is, not just you share in Christ's suffering, but you share in so much of Christ. Christ came to share his life with you and to share his life with us 2,000 years later. Because it isn't just his suffering that you share in. You see, my second point is that we also share in his death and his resurrection. 1 Peter 3, 21 and 22 says, And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. Baptism, as we say so often and so rightly, whenever we do baptize people, is not just a exercise in getting wet it's actually not just an exercise in obedience. so oh, it is that, and that is great. In baptism, we are identifying and sharing in the journey that Christ took. His death as he died, we symbolise that by going down under the water, being buried in the water as he was buried in the ground. On the third day, he rose up again, and we rise up to resurrection life. We know that, again, for all of us, we will one day die. But that, again, now carries no threat, carries no fear, because we rise again to life. We share in his death and his resurrection. Paul says something very bold in Philippians. um, And whilst I've read this verse many times, it kind of just struck me afresh as I was preparing for this morning. Paul says this in Philippians 3 and verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ Yet to know the power of his resurrection and to participate in his suffering, becoming like him in death. I think we've all read that verse a number of times before, haven't we? I'm just reminded, or I'm just struck by how scandalous a verse that is. How scandalous a verse that is. How dare Paul say, I want to know the power of his resurrection? Well, isn't Christ's resurrection Christ's? I want, I, want to, I want to participate in his suffering. Well, many would argue that oh, Christ's suffering is, is Christ's suffering. I, I'm reminded of uh, uh, James and John who came and wanted to. And in one gospel, it's James and John who ask. In another gospel, it's their mother who asks. It, it kind of doesn't matter, but there was this question for, for James and John. To Jesus, can one sit at your right hand, one sit at your left hand in heaven? And and Jesus, hey, that's not mine to give. That's just a little bit presumptuous. That's a little bit too much. And so how can Paul say, I want to know the the power of your resurrection. I want to know the the power of sharing in your suffering. How can he say that? Unless Christ himself has said, yeah, this is what I encourage you to share with me in. This is what I invite you into. A life that isn't just a hobby. A hobby. We aren't just people with a set of common interests. We don't just uh, share some nice ideals. We don't just want to uh, perhaps reframe society by all being good. Those are, those are, I guess, good things. But being a Christian is so much more than that. It's sharing in Christ's life. Sharing in his, the good things and the bad things, his death, his resurrection, uh, his suffering. And I don't know if Peter wrote his letter before Paul. I don't know if 1 Peter was written before Philippians. I don't know if Philippians was written before 1 Peter. It actually doesn't really, if it had mattered, I would have looked it up, but it doesn't matter because both Peter and Paul have this very clear idea that we share in so much of who Christ is. This morning, hey, this morning, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ is your Savior, and this is just something you're, you're looking in on and saying, I wonder what these guys think about the Bible. I wonder why they hold on to this book that's 2,000 years old as something special. Well, we're holding on to a person. We're holding on to a risen person. We're holding on to the one person who conquered death and who says, and if Jesus had just said, Look, guys, I want to show you this stuff. I want to show you that, that I have died and risen again. I want to show you how to be a good person. And here I am. And, and here's a model of what it means to be good. That would be fantastic. We, we could run with that. We would go with that. We would love that. But Jesus says, share with me. Come with me. This isn't just something I model and I show and I demonstrate. And guys, just do the best you can. He says, no, you share in this. You share in this. Peter is uh, facing an even lower battery now. He's still got more to say. He's probably down to 2%. This last kind of point needs to get rushed out as well. But we share in his suffering. We share in his death and resurrection. The last thing, or the third thing, I'm sure actually if Peter's battery had lasted, he would have had more. More. But the third thing that I picked up from this passage was that we share in his proclamation. We share in his proclamation. Uh, a great truth of scripture is that God calls us to be part of sharing his message. Again, again, this is, this is such a scandalous idea. The God who is all-powerful. The God who opens blind eyes. The God who makes dead people alive. The God who makes people who are spiritually blind to his truths see them. The God who could change anybody's mind at an instant says to fallible, failing, inarticulate, you and me. Guys, I want you to be involved in this. I want you to be sharing in this journey of proclaiming my truths. As Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Or as Paul says in Romans, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And when it says preaching to them, that doesn't mean to say what I'm doing up the front here this morning. It means what you do tomorrow morning with your friends and families and associates and colleagues and the people who might not agree with you. You preach to them through your lifestyle. That's how they hear the truth. And so it's no surprise when Peter says in verse 15... Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Always be prepared. And the message is so clear. You know, so often we can say, I don't know how to, to, to share my faith. I don't know how to tell somebody about the gospel and again there are so many guides and helps and ways you can learn to do that prayer is just a good one to start with just ask god to give you the words but but it actually says in verse i said i mentioned this before verse 18 of chapter 3 you got the gospel there in one verse one verse for christ also suffered once for the sins the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to god you can share that verse everybody in John 3:16 God so loved the world that he gave his only son so often in scripture we find that because the gospel is at its heart simple it can be summed up in a verse you can share in this proclamation with just one verse and then unpack it however that conversation goes but you see then <laughs> and then We get verse nineteen and twenty. You know, one of the challenges in preaching through a book of Scripture is that you can't avoid the tricky verses. You've got to face into those verses. That if I'd been one Peter, nineteen and twenty wouldn't have made it. Wouldn't have got off the dictation pad. Uh, They'd have been, I don't know, a footnote. They'd have been somewhere else. Uh, But he says it anyway. And as a church that that hold the Word of God to be true. it would be the easiest thing in the world for me to say, oh, do you know what, we don't need to worry about 19 and 20. But guys, uh, we will. We've got to do it. Now, in fact, the brutal truth is, if you ask me the question, what is verse 19 and 20 all about? The answer is, I'm actually not going to tell you. Now, you probably weren't expecting that answer, but I'm probably not going to tell you. Because verse 19 and 20 are two of the probably most hotly debated verses in scripture and lots of people have got different ideas about that and for the purposes of this morning we probably don't need to dig into it now look I, one of the lessons that I've learned over the years of preaching interesting lesson is that there is a vast difference a vast difference between what I want to preach and what God wants me to preach I've had to learn that lesson through a number of mistakes over the years. You see, me being me, who loves digging into Scripture, could so easily have made this morning a study of 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20. I could have done that. I, would, I actually would have loved to have done that. If, if, if Steve had said to me, Ken, what you've got to do is, is what, you know, it's not half a chapter 3 and half a chapter 4, it's verses 19 and 20. I would have gone with that. I would have gone with that. Uh, and you guys would have probably been thinking, "What on is this morning all about? So, so I'm actually not going to do it, but, but we are a church that honors the word of God. And I do have some thoughts on these two verses. So somewhere on one of the slides, I've done a blog of this. I've blogged before, not for a couple of years, but there should be a, a blog address. If you want to go to that, you will actually find my thoughts. There you go, on 1 Peter 19 and 20. And if you're not interested, that is absolutely fine. If you're not interested, that's absolutely fine. If you you were actually looking at 19 and 20 and thinking, I do wonder what that says, you can get my thoughts there. Again, other people have got different views, so take it with a pinch of salt, but that's my view. But the question we still have to ask is, very top level, how do we slot those two verses into this overall narrative? Because. What is going on in verse 19 and 20? Whether, whether Peter is talking about Jesus talking to evil spirits, whether Jesus is talking about Peter, Jesus proclaiming to men and women in Noah's ages, whatever, whatever Jesus is doing, he's doing something. He's doing something. He's declaring truth, he's proclaiming the gospel. To somebody, I'm not quite sure who, to somewhere, I'm not quite sure where, but he is proclaiming the truth. And you see, again, I think there are men and women of Peter's generation that said, hey, we've just missed out by 25, by 30 years. We just missed out on sharing the gospel of being with you, in hearing with it, in walking with you, and maybe going to Cana and Galilee and these other towns, and being the first people there to actually bring the truth of the gospel. We wanted to share in your proclamation, but you're not here anymore. And that's gone. That chance has gone. We didn't get that chance to walk with you, to witness with you. And Peter says, no, that opportunity is there for everybody to share in the proclamation of the gospel to share in the truths of who Jesus is. We share in Christ's suffering. We share in his death and resurrection. We share in the proclamation of his gospel. Just uh, as we get to 11 o'clock, I just want to put up hopefully the last slide that has all of that bit of 1 Peter on uh, 1 one slide. Apologies for the small font, but, but perhaps take that one away, because this one this is kind of the, the order that Paul should have done it if he wasn't babbling into his mobile phone with a low battery, okay? Uh, the blue text is, we suffer. Why do we suffer at the top there? Even if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Well, we suffer because Christ also suffered once for the sins of the righteous. In the yellow text, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who gives the reason that you hope for. Why? Because in the yellow text, he went and made proclamation. I don't know where and to who, but he went and made proclamation. So we go and we make proclamation. And in the green text, he was put to death in the body, but made in the alive in the spirit. What's the consequence for us? Well, hey, this water symbolizes the death and the resurrection that we have. That's the way I would, dare I say it, with all humility, I would have re-edited 1 Peter 3. (laughs) I'm not allowed to do that. But if I could have just cut and pasted some of those sentences, that's how I would have done it. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the incredible truth that there is in 1 Peter. Uh, I just pray you bless this to us so much. There's such riches here. I pray you'd help us to just mull over these, think on these, dwell on these uh, in the weeks ahead. Amen. Amen. Wow, Ken, uh, you need to come back and pray for us in a moment. Okay. So put those back there. Can we stand together? We're we're joining with the rest of the country. Uh, some of our. our